You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Today's episode of the Tone Mob Podcast is brought to you by the Sound Parcel. That's right, we've talked about them before. That's the place you go to rent guitar gear. I mean, who doesn't want to try out new weird things that you can't hardly find anywhere else? They've got all kinds of crazy things over there. And uh, the system that Dave set up is super nice and super super easy to use. I've uh, got to try it myself. You may have heard on a prior episode. And I'm told that there is a discount code. Uh, if you just enter Tone Mob, you're going to save yourself a few bucks on your first rental. So head on over to thesoundparcel.co and give them a try. It's a it's a great service, and it's a they got a lot of cool things for you to uh, feast your ears on. This episode is also brought to you by the fine, fine feathered folks over at Sinusoid. Yes, Sinusoid. What's a Sinusoid? Well, it's not for your sinuses, despite what you might hear on some other podcasts. No, it's a place for you to get awesome, awesome, awesome guitar cables, you know, aux cables, just any cable that you need for your musical enjoyment. You can get it over at Sinusoid.com. Those guys are awesome. They're a big supporter of the podcast, and if you like the podcast... You know, get yourself a cable. Spread the love. That will, uh, that's what we're all about here, is spreading the love. Also, another thing to note about the sinusoid cables, 100-year warranty. So, if you get to be 100, your cable fails, it's like, oh well, you know, it doesn't matter. Because it's covered. You just call up Andy, who'll be like 100 and something then, because I don't know how old he is, and they'll, uh, they'll fix you up. So, check out sinusoid.com. everyone welcome to another episode of the tonemob.com podcast i'm your host blake wylan and with me today i have matt knight from the guitar nerds podcast how's it going man hello hello good uh, good morning for you i believe good it afternoon is, for me <laughs> it's it's good morning i'm not a morning person yet i've been recording so much in the morning i'm i'm trying to become one yeah it's, now i'm sort of more of the opposite if it gets to the evening time i'm i'm asleep uh, I'm, I'm asleep so early <laughs> I, uh, my cat maybe wakes me up at 5 a.m so i just oh. i'm just used to getting up at 5 a.m now oh yeah no i i'm i'm like i'm a night owl and so yeah i like i, I just like sleeping i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing it is a good thing but yeah, no, um, I'm calling technically from the future and I can report that today has been a good day. So, you know, you've got lots to look forward to. <laughs> oh man, I feel like today's a good day too. I'm, I'm trying to talk with the wife into going to see Logan. I don't know if I'm going to be uh, successful or not. I haven't seen not. it yet. I don't even know if it's still on at the cinema in the UK. Films run for like two weeks now in the cinema and then they kind of just like disappear. Oh really? Interesting. Yeah. If, if, um, it, over here it seems like if the... It, it all depends. Like, if the movie's doing really well and still um, still bringing in people, then they'll go ahead and keep it going. But, like, if it's yeah. kind of a flop, they'll, they'll just pull it. But then we have yeah. second... In, in my neck of the woods here in Portland, we have... Uh, and they have them in other parts of the country, too, but they have uh, second-run theaters. So, like, a movie that's been out for a long, long time, you know, and then it goes out of the normal theater, it will then come up uh-huh. in the second-run theaters, and it's, like, $3.00 to go watch it and you can usually like get a 
get a slice of pizza and have a beer or something See, while that, you're watching a movie. Because here, I mean, I don't know how much it is to go to the, you know, the cinema in in the US, but here, like for two people to go, it costs like the equivalent of nearly thirty dollars, I suppose, thirty thirty five dollars to go to the cinema. But you know, to watch to watch a movie, but you can get like a two for one code that you can mm-hmm. you can like buy um, like travel insurance for like seven pounds for a year, and then you get like free two for one cinema tickets once a week. So, but we just do that and go like once a month or whatever. That's pretty but, cool, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm just not going to pay like thirty five dollars to go to the cinema. I have to, especially re- when drinks cost a, re- a load of money, and so does the food. So it kind of becomes an expensive outing. It, it does. That, yeah, that's depending on where you go around here. That's pretty similar. I mean, it's usually like ten to twelve dollars a piece, and then you know, the more expensive, nicer theaters can be more. You know, a lot more than that. Yeah. But it's like at that point you're like, well, we might as well, like, go to the nice theater and sit in a big comfy chair. If we're gonna spend, you know, twenty five dollars, we might as well spend thirty five and be comfortable. Yeah, true, true. What is this a movie theater podcast? I don't know. What are we doing right now? (laughs) (laughs) I just like the American way of life. You know, it's interesting to me to 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 us English all the way on the other side of the uh, of the ocean. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I I visited London uh, several years ago for a, for just a little bit, and I don't know it. It didn't. It was definitely different, but it didn't seem drastically different. I I don't know. Maybe I was having a distorted tourist view. Yeah, I don't, I, I suppose it, the, the kind of crazy thing for me as well. You know, I went to we went we we obviously met for the first time properly at at Nam, and because yes. America was to me was just like. That everything felt like totally different just all the people and you know it was a great vibey place to be but you know we went to uh to las vegas afterwards and everything was just like everything's like almost like its own individual country like every city is just like because because america's so you know massive obviously but uh i suppose i've just always lived in the uk so i'm very used to kind of how it is so anywhere outside of that just feels like massively different oh interesting interesting i i uh yeah i don't know i loved it though i i yeah. me and my wife constantly are like we we must go back well like, you've yeah. always got a place to stay <laughs> all right that's awesome i'm just we outside stay- central london so there you go oh okay yeah well I, we stayed in uh in like the westminster area um okay yeah that's and- not too far away from where i am in this little tiny, there's this little this hotel chain. Uh, I don't know how many people have heard of it. It's called Tune Hotels, T U N E. Um, no. And their whole deal is like the bed's comfy, and that's it. Like you, like it's a, it's the, it's like you, you are sleeping in a closet, basically. Yeah. With but... a with with a bathroom. It's the smallest. It, like it's barely big enough for. It was barely big enough for my wife and I and our suitcases. Yeah, but I, but I suppose at the end of the day, you're, the only thing you're doing there is like sleeping there. So that's their whole. Day, it doesn't that's, really. Yeah, that's their whole marketing angle. They're like, you're not going to be in your hotel anyway. Why pay a bunch of money? You just yeah. want to be comfortable and have a place to take a shower. Yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm exactly the same mindset on that one. <laughs> Unless someone else is paying for the hotel, then I definitely want a really nice room. Well, of course, we 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 did it backwards. We stayed in Ireland for a little bit and. Uh, 
we stayed in a castle for a little while just because we're like, we're coming over here. We're going to do it up. But like we couldn't yeah. afford, we couldn't afford to do it up in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not many castles in London and I think you kind of have to be the queen to be able to stay in them. So that's true. <laughs> well, let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Why don't we start with, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, we kind of explain your musical backstory and what you do in the kind of gear world and why we're talking today. Yeah, well, okay, so I do a podcast with three other people uh, called Guitar Nerds, um, which we've done now for four years, two years under one name and two years under another. So we all used to work in a major guitar store in the UK called the Guitar Amp and Keyboard Centre, or GAC, as it was kind of uh, nicknamed, which I think is the name of the, like, is some nickname from, like, Nickelodeon. If you're probably from America, GAC probably means, like, the slime in Nickelodeon, in Nickelodeon if I remember <laughs> rightly from when I was a kid. <laughs> GAC was a thing. Yeah, you're right. GAC, it probably had some sort of Nickelodeon reference, but GAC was a toy. And it was basically goo in a can. Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. So it was it was kind of like I think, you know, when we had kind of people from America, they're like, that's a weird nickname. But that's what it was always called. So but before that, I mean, I started playing guitar when I was fifteen. Um, finished college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, thought I'll give playing guitar a go. Went to music college for two years. Loved one year, hated the second and realized, do you know what? I'm never, ever going to make it as a famous musician, but I love guitars. And in the same town that I was uh, studying in, there was Guitar Amp and Keyboard Center. I applied for a job and because I had a Saturday job working in a guitar shop back at home before I moved away, they were like, well, you can come in. Can you do full time hours? I was like, yeah, totally. And then within like four years I was the assistant manager then I became the manager not long after that and we all met when I was managing and uh Mark who's one of the other guitar nerds was uh managing you know another department and then Jay came in and he was the assistant manager after a while and we were sort of our whole crew and obviously Joe I gave Joe a job in the bass department and we did that for two years until we kind of all left <laughs> And then we were like, oh, this is actually really fun, so we should keep doing it. And that's when Guitar Nerds kind of formed from an idea that, that Mark had in his head, being like, we should keep doing the podcast, but now that we're not tied to a store, we can sort of talk about whatever we want. Because I remember in the very first episode of the GAC podcast, I mentioned Strymon, and everyone was like, you can't mention Strymon, we don't sell it. And I'm like, but... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like it, it gave us more of the kind of freedom to, to talk about what we want and to be a bit more fair. I think the difficult thing with anything, you know, in terms of like stuff for reviews, I think like gaming magazines always like it is that people do obviously generally pay for the reviews or people are more favorable towards one thing or another. And people are like, oh, you always give things like five stars or four stars and or, you know, however they rate it. And it's just like, we sort of wanted to do that because we only really want to talk about the gear that we like. But if there's a gear that piece of gear that we're unsure about, we kind of want to have the freedom to be like, I think they should change this or, you know, we've got this problem with it. And it opens up a lot more debate, which when you're tied to a store, you, you can't really do that because you're sort of, in essence, you're sort of selling a product. 
So now that we do Guitar Nerds outside of all that, it's opened up a lot more doors as well, which has been super nice. That makes so sense. That's, that's, you know, I suppose for me, like Guitar Gear has been like my main focus for the last 15 years. Like I've had guitar pedals pretty much since the day I started playing guitar. If in fact my first guitar pedal came pretty much before I started playing guitar because I knew I was going to get one and my local guitar stop, which was an amazing shop before it closed when I was younger, I was just like, oh, what are these? And they're like, oh, like changes the sound of your guitar. I was like, oh, yeah, I just have to get one. And I bought it because it looked cool. And actually it sounded pretty good as well. What um, was it? It was an old Dan Electro 18 volt Cool Cat. So it was the early one. So they used to do those big ones in big metal cases. They yeah, still had yeah. the like weird metal, terrible switches, but they had an old chorus that was like 18 volt. And I think, thinking back about it, I think it must have just been a, C, a Boss CE2 clone because it just had depth and rate. But it sounded great. It sounded absolutely awesome. Nice. And I had quite a few Dan Electro pedals after that as well because they were one of the only brands that you could go out and buy normally. I mean, you know, it was those... MXR and Boss, I think, were probably the only brands that you'd see in ninety percent of guitar stores. Right. Yeah. I mean, the boot. You know, it's not like today. Today's insane. But yeah, there people forget there was a time there was only like EHX, Boss, Dan Electro, uh, MXR, and like DoD, and that's basically yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I remember you know when I first started working at at, at GAC in Brighton. We had the first Pigtronics phaser, the EP1, which was like the big kidney bean. And it was the, the phaser with the envelope control, and it was £199. So, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. And I was just like, that's so expensive. Who's who's going to buy that? And I, I think we never sold it at that price. I think it sat there for ages and ages and ages. And it's just like, it was so expensive. And by the time I left working in retail, and we were selling you know, Van Wilden overdrive pedals that were £600, you know, $700, $650. Wow. Every week, you know, almost every day, I was just like, the the game has totally changed. And I, in a way, that's good because people can have a lot more creative freedom and, you know, but in, in another way, people can totally overcharge. And I think, you know, <laughs> depending on how you like how these companies like market their product, people can be like, yeah, I really want one. And you're like, oh, it's $400. But you kind of wonder, has $400 gone into it? It's, that's the thing. It's just like price on some of them is through the roof, I suppose. Yeah, so some things are insane to me. Um, like, I hard to, I don't want to like call people out publicly. But, um, but uh, some things are crazy to me. But then like some things, they seem crazy. But if you talk to the builder and like find out like, well, I spent six years developing this. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You never know the, the true the true story. And I think a lot of times the companies like MXR or Boss or Electroharmonics, you know, we build pedals on such a massive scale compared to other people. And you have to realize that that economy is a scale in the sense that you build tons more if you build five times as much it's the price is going to come down um which is always in in some aspects has had a negative effect because people are like well that product's cheap so it's not going to be very good oh yeah uh, and then it's like but it's only cheap because we can make so many of them like if we're making so many of them surely 
there must be some people out there. And I actually used a good example on our on the Guitar Nerds podcast the other week, which is the Digitech Bad Monkey. I think you can pick most of those up on... They're discontinued now, but you can pick them up on eBay for like $20, $30. And, and they're a great sounding overdrive. And they're yeah. only $50 new. You know, yeah, I think it's, it's just because they can make so many. Yeah, that's 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 the key right there. Is uh, yeah, yeah. If you, I mean, if you can move, you know, if you can build ten thousand of something versus a hundred, the the just the just the price of your parts alone, yeah, it is drastically different, and it yeah. it completely changes. It's like you know, um, like that you can take the same exact pedal and 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 just you know double up everything quantity wise and it's just going to be cheaper because that's how manufacturing works yeah but i think what i do like about you know some of these brands and you know i take um i was talking to reese from bigfoot engineering today because he was saying oh, i've got some new stuff that i'm i'm working on and you know he just builds everything by hand one by one you know just fulfilling orders and every week more orders are coming in he's trying to build more and i just think about him just sitting at home with his soldering iron, all these circuit boards, doing it by himself, you know, and there isn't that many people doing that either. And you kind of think, well, you know, there is definitely some justification in, in some of these prices. Um, well, I don't know about that. Uh, the, I don't know what the seems like over there, but over here, that's very normal. Like there's yeah. lots, most of the companies that I, guys that I talk to are one or two man operations. Yeah, uh, just soldering away, and and you know, I think that's I I do think that's amazing, really. I just think like the sheer dedication. I think like anything, like you know, going right. I'm going to be a musician, and I want to like play guitar, and I'm going to play in bands, and I'm going to make my living from that. I think doing pedals, anything like that, the same the same thing. It's just like that sheer dedication. It's like when you're a new company, I've just got to do it, and I've got to believe in it. And I think that's like. I, I honestly I always think that's totally amazing and I think Nam was a great thing for that for me meeting all these people and being like wow you guys are really going for it and I think that's like awesome yeah I mean basically you know I mean you, you the guys that we that I took you around to mostly like you know like we went over to the Fuzz Rocious booth for instance that's mm. the that's the company <laughs> right there yeah and the whole the whole company was on the floor that's Ryan and Shannon uh, you know, with the exception of sometimes they have some of their kids paint their paint their yeah. pedals. <laughs> I mean, that's because I, I don't know um, how long they've been a company now, but I do remember mentioning them on the podcast, yeah, quite some time ago. About I'd seen the pedal painted by the kids, and I'd seen it was an option on the website, and I was just like, that's just amazing. Yeah, it's just like those little touches. I think you can only do if you're a smaller builder, because I think when you get to like. You know, I don't think Digitech, for example, are ever going to go, well, we're going to do like a whammy pedal, but it's going to be like this crazy graphic because it'd probably just be too expensive to try and print that many whammies on a crazy graphic or get people to paint them by hand. Whereas if you're making much smaller numbers, you can do more limited things like that just because, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to fork out a ridiculous cost to try and make something work. Right. Just to that's yeah, we talk about the actual units being cheaper in quantity mm. but but the actual cash outlay is yeah. is another story altogether you know yeah. um i've i've talked to people that s- said you know if i don't move a thousand units instantly i lose money yeah and it's like that's boggling to think about too like that yeah. like 
you must move at least a thousand units or you lose money. You're like, you don't even break even, you lose money. That's just, <laughs> that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure... I've, I've seen a couple of, of things recently, like, um, like Instagram videos inside like uh, the JHS um, sort of like workshop and the Earthquaker one. And, it, and it's basically like just a mini factory, isn't it? There's like 20 people like wiring circuit boards. But I've seen recently that Earthquaker on a couple of pedals have hit like 12,000 models. You know, if that tw- like serial number 12,000 of a particular pedal. And like those guys haven't been around for that long to like hit that many. It's just like a total achievement. You think 12,000 individual units out there being used by different people. It's yes. amazing. Yeah, and then you're right. They haven't, I mean, they've been around a while, but not like mm. boss, you know. Yeah. Like, they've, they've been around, you know, I don't actually know exactly when Earthquake st- started, but, you know, 10 years plus, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. But still, yeah, that's just, a, it is crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean the, the funny thing is for me, and it, and it, the significant. Well, I say the significance. I mean, the, the, the thing that never really struck me until recently was that I remember there was a website when I first started playing guitar called Guitar Geek, which I think still exists, but I think it got bought out by another company. And they were the guys that started doing the kind of like cartoon guitar rigs. Okay. Do you remember those? They were like they had like a cartoon image of like the guitarist, and then they had like all their rig done in like oh, a particular yes. style. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that all kind of spawned from that sort of forum, which I think was one of the main ones at the time. And Brian Wampler was doing indie guitarist at that point, and it was just him, and he was just on this forum, and he was selling that book on like how to build effects pedals and selling his kits. And obviously, right. it, I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that Wampler was then indie guitarist, and that was like way back in the day. And you think how long people have to kind of go to kind of to get that recognition oh because i know some people have got like those really early like indie guitarist effects pedals which are like the super early versions of the pedals that he makes now yeah a lot of uh i it's funny you brought him up i mean that's i don't know if you know but i do chasing tone with brian like almost every week um yeah so I i i talk to brian a lot and so it's uh it is interesting to hear his story because he was at one point, like you said, he was on that, that forum with the book and everything. He had yeah. to basically make a decision. Do I want to do DIY stuff and, and continue this helping this DIY community or do I want to do my own line? Um, mm. And he just kind of flipped a coin and went, well, I guess I'm going to do my own line. We'll see how <laughs> this goes. So it's uh, apparently worked out pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that he's probably uh, done all right so far. <laughs> So far, <laughs> so far, and so I, far, so good. I, I really liked. I liked the video he put up recently, which was him like going through his like prototype cupboard, and it was oh, like yeah. all the stuff that he sort of like made before. And I was like, "That is awesome to kind of see like all that stuff, you know, from way back and how far things have come as well." That's just like that's that's so cool. Um, and... He has a ton of them too, like so many prototypes it's almost funny yeah because i suppose that's the one the side of that's the gear that we don't ever see is like it's not like someone made a circuit board and went oh that's good enough you know these things come out of like time and revision and practice and research and development and constantly changing because i don't think like a guitar sound nothing's ever set you know your tastes change your ears change and 
the gear that's available, the capacitors, the resistors, all of that change over time, and you kind of it allows you to tweak circuits and and change things, you know, generally yeah. for the better. Well, and, and sometimes that can cause things to be completely discontinued. Like, uh, yeah. I uh, I was talking with a, um, a guy here in Portland, Jack DeVille. He does the Mr. Black pedals. Um, oh, okay. He, you know, he, he was, I was asking him because I have an original, he, back in the day when he first started, he was doing it under his own name, which was De- Jack DeVille Electronics. And I recently picked up an original Dark Echo that he made way back in the day. And he, it was years and years before he came out with the Dark Echo under the Mr. Black line. And mm-hmm. I asked him, like, why was that? And he said, well, there was this one particular part that was very crucial to the sound of the pedal that was discontinued. And he just couldn't get them anymore. And yeah. they, just, they didn't make them. And so he's had to spend all this time with different different parts and different circuits to get a pedal that sounds uh, the same um, with the, the parts that he had available. So it, it, that kind of wrench can get thrown in the gears too. Like suddenly yeah. you can't get that transistor anymore. Because they're, they're based, are they based in Portland? They're, they're near you, right? Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Black. Yeah, because they, they do one of my favorite reverb pedals, which is the uh, the Deluxe Plus. Oh, That's the reverb and yes. I love that thing. It's underrated in my book. Love yeah. that pedal. Because to me, it was always between that and the Strymon Flint. Um, but I've just seen that they do the Deluxe Deluxe Plus, which has got the separate foot switch for the reverb and the trem, which I didn't realize they did. And I was like, that's a total game changer. They just me, came out with that uh, just just last week, like yeah. just barely just barely came out with that, yeah. Because I think that was always the thing for most people; they wanted the two separate foot switches. So I think it's, I'm glad that I've seen that on there because that is awesome. That's probably my fa- one of my favorite pedals in terms of like a great reverb sound that isn't Strymon because it's always difficult to when someone goes, "Well, what's the best reverb and trem sound?" I'm always like try not to say the obvious one to go for. It's like got to try and throw some other ones in there, especially on the podcast. You know, we don't want to sound like a broken record. You don't want to constantly like, you know, that everyone has their go-to products, but you've always got to be looking out for like what's new, what's coming out. And I think that's where things like effects database are quite good because you can just pick up some random brands that you've probably never heard of, but they've been making pedals for a while and you can definitely find some great hidden gems in there. Um, but oh, totally. uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much, there's so much stuff now. It's almost impossible to just try it all. <laughs> uh, I, you, yeah, you, there's always something new. Uh, that, I mean, it's it's every day. There's something something new from somebody. Um, mm. And I'm I'm in a really you know weirdly fortunate position where I'm t- in at least in the in the U.S. I'm talking to so many of these people like every day. Uh, and it's like, I'm hearing about things that are coming or things they're working on. And I, I just, I'm such a nerd. I get super excited and I'm like, Oh, I can't say anything. I can't say anything to anybody. Oh, I have to keep it's, it's this weirdly side of the other terrible side of my, uh, full-time job. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. I was going to say you have that, uh, with one company in particular, I don't think we've quite touched on the fact that you, we met at NAMM because you work for boss. Yeah, yeah. So, I suppose a little bit of a back backstory for me, like the um, 
the store that was in my hometown when I was a kid was a place called the Guitar Store, and it was at a time when the internet didn't really exist as a place. It wasn't an e-commerce platform that you could buy stuff on, basically. Um, and Guitar Magazine still advertised guitar shops. You know, a guitar shop would just list all their stock in there. And they were one of the biggest guitar shops in the country at the time. This It was in a 14th century coach house outside a park. So this building was like five, 600 years old. Wow, and it was over like so three... Cool. Uh, three or floor, four floors. It had a basement where they had all the amps in. Really nice guy who used to um, to run it. I used to go in there every week. Uh, he used to let me buy stuff for like £10 a week. So I'd be like, oh, I want this new pedal. And he'd be like, cool, just pay me weekly for the next you know, couple months or whatever. Um, and that's where I found the Boss Book, which is mm-hmm. one of the only pedal companies that have actually made a book that had all their pedals in with sound examples and kind of gave you a little bit of history on everything. And ever since that point, I was just like, I love boss pedals. I love the way they look. I love the way they, they sound, the history of it. I thought, you know, because they were so much more interactive with that book than any other company out there. And as we said, there wasn't that much for sale. So I'd always been a massive fan. And when I started working at Guitar and Keyboard Center, we did something called the Roland Planet, which was where Roland basically employed someone to come and work in your store to, to sell Roland products. And the first guy that we had ended up working for Roland and we stayed friends. And through him, I met my now current boss. And seven months ago, he was like, I need someone. He basically put up a job application. I was like, I have to go and do that job. I have to go and work for boss because I know that's what I've always wanted to do. It's the company that I've always like totally believed in. And I went for the interview and he was just like, when can you start, basically? Um, so yeah, now I work for, technically I work for Roland Europe Group, which is the European control center, I suppose is one way to put it, <laughs> for um, for every single Roland outlet in Europe, Russia, and South Africa, specifically working for Boss. So there's me and one other guy, and we do um, a lot of the European-wide marketing um, and a lot of marketing for Japan as well. So that's that's like a totally amazing side of what I do in my full time job at the moment. I'm working on like some some videos for Japan, so we've like been tasked from Japan to do some videos. Um, so you know, it's actually like doing a proper film shoot and stuff, which is cool, and basically just spreading the word of Boss to all the lovely people all across Europe, um, which to me is is fantastic because uh, I generally do believe in that in those products. Um, I think it'd be easy to work for any pedal company and be excited about what they're doing, but I don't think a company, I think Boss is the only company I felt like completely passionate about since the first day I started playing guitar. Um, so it's like a dream job, I suppose, in one way. Um, touch wood, it will like carry on <laughs> for a little while. But yeah, that's, I mean, and that's the thing you're saying, like projects, I mean, there's always stuff happening and it's just like a constant keep your mouth quiet, you know, keep your mouth shut and, and don't talk about anything, um, right. which is, which is, you know, which is always good fun. But, um, I mean, just in terms of the stuff that we've, we've got now, I, I just think with the technology and the history that boss have got, I think there's so much cool stuff that we make now that's equally as good as anything else, but it's difficult. We've been around so long 
and there's so many new companies coming out, it's it's difficult. I mean, SD1 is a great overdrive pedal, and we make so so many of them. They're only thirty nine pounds. So people go, but there's another overdrive there that's two hundred quid. Your one must be terrible because it's only thirty nine pounds. And it's like mm, we've made that pedal for thirty years now. <laughs> right. I think we can probably bring the cost down a little bit. Um, you know, I I think our longest standing pedal at the moment. I think it's the NS2 noise suppressor. Really? I think we've made the NS2 since 1987. Wow. Like non-stop. No, no non-stop, break in production. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I, think I only, wasn't even, I wasn't even alive. Would, <laughs> I think the only change would have been that it went from the Japanese factory to the Taiwan factory. Right. Right. <laughs> um, that would have probably been the only change. Um but yeah, continuous production. I mean, Blues Driver's been a continuous production now for 25 years this mm-hmm. year. You know, that's... not many pedal companies have been around for like a fifth of that. Well, that's the thing so is Boss Boss is one of the original pedal companies, period. I mean, yeah, EHX back in the day, there's lots of pedal, or not lots, there were several pedal companies, you know, in the 60s and so on and so forth, but... Boss started in what seventy seven? Seventy. Right? Well, actually, the first Boss pedal was seventy six, but the compact pedal that obviously everyone knows now was seventy seven. So it's the fortieth anniversary of the Boss compact pedal this year. Um, and I, I always, sometimes, I, especially on the Guitar Nerds podcast, because I mention it all the time. But I mean, with Boss, you kind of have to think. I'm just doing a bit of writing about the Boss history at the moment, and I was like. The world first that we've had. So we we basically standardized 9-volt power mm-hmm. because there was no standard 9-volt power input. At well, that point, everything was 12 volts or like massive power transformers. Well, think about what everybody what everybody refers to as the standard 9-volt power supply. It's the They say it's the boss power yeah. supply. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we've made it... I mean, it, was, it used to be ACA. It's been PSA for a long time, but ACA is like closer to 12 volts. But we standardized like normal barrel jacks power input um everything like the battery compartment was specifically designed so that if the battery leaked no um battery acid would ever touch any of the components um everything is like superior i suppose in a way japanese engineering like everything is thought every possible situation is thought about that went into that in that that design and that compact design has basically been unchanged for 40 years I mean, well, and, had, and the fact that you could throw it off a building and it will probably yeah. still work. There's a guy uh, on YouTube at the moment called Simon the Magpie who's oh, yes. basically destroying boss pedals um, and they're still working, which I think is amazing. And it just goes awesome. to show how ridiculously tough they are. But um, what was the, the, one, the one that hit me? We were doing our, um, for Nam, we did a, a 40th anniversary video. So it's just kind of like this really nice, like reflective three minute video about all the kind of what we thought were the best products we've had in the last 40 years. And we had a TU2 and you kind of think, well, it's, you know, it's TU2, it's a pedal tuner. But before the TU2, there was no pedal tuner. Pedal tuners didn't exist. And the pe- and that was only 1998. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Yeah, the, TU2's, the TU2's only been out since 98? Yeah, the TU3, it's, which is the modern one, is right. 
like six years old now, but the TU2, which was 98, was the first pedal tuner. Whoa, that's so weird to think about. <laughs> it, like, that, it's so ubiquitous. Like, you have a tuner on your board. That's what you, that's yeah. just what you do. It's, um, it's, there's actually I've, a really, wow. There's a really funny story because I'm, I'm basically like putting together some, some boss stories as part of their, their kind of 40th anniversary. And really funny story with the, the tuner was that apparently they've had the tech, technology to do it for quite some time but they honestly thought that no one would buy it really they, they honestly thought that because i've got a, a couple of friends who have been playing guitar since you know the 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. you know they used to just like there'd be a keyboard player in the band it's like everyone tunes to the keyboard player then the handheld tuners came out with the needle and it's just like well you, you know you sit it on top of your amp or, or whatever tune up you know plug in away you go so when they people had the pedal tuner they'd be like why would i want that what i've already got a tuner why would i want one on the floor so they they honestly thought that it wouldn't necessarily be a great seller and then obviously they released it and they so many people asked for it after a while they were just like i can't believe we hadn't done this before and that and that's what then spurred on people making pedal tuners yeah i mean i remember i fought it for a while i i you know i was like oh i could i Leon, you know, with the Pelican Noiseworks, he was like, you got to get a tuner. And I'm like, but that's so boring. This is when I first started getting into pedals. Uh, yeah. I, I was like, that's so boring. I could get another fuzz for that same price. Why do I need, yeah. like, I'll, I'll just use my headstock tuner, you know, like whatever. But then when I got one, finally, um, I'm like, I can't believe I didn't just bite the bullet and do this sooner. This is so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> like, so much better. And that, and that's uh, the thing, and you know, and there's still some people out there that are still using TU2s that have lasted all that time and still tune as good as the day they first came out of the box. And I, I just thought that was like, there was like a few moments like that when we were doing this video. It's just like, this is a weird piece of history. Like, we got sent a load of stuff from the Japanese factory. Um, so in Japan, outside Hamamatsu, which is where the, the main Boss and Roland headquarters is there's a, a research and development center and they mm-hmm. have the roland museum there which pretty much has everything that roland and boss have ever made in one in one place in this in this massive museum that overlooks this this lake and they sent us some pedals for this video shoot from from the museum including dd2 now dd2 was the first ever compact digital delay pedal so the right. first ever small pedal that was the delay that was digital. Digital delays already existed in rack mount form and analog delays existed in, in pedal form, but a digital delay pedal had, had never existed. Um, and the only reason they they did it was because the SDE 3000, which was the rack delay at the time, had the delay chip in, and they thought that that chip might fit in a, in a Boss compact size. And it actually, if you ever take the circuit board out, the chip fits almost exactly the width of the compact pedal so if you if you get an old one from the japanese factory the the delay chip is the exact same width as the actual delay pedal and i was holding this dd2 which was a prototype and i went this is the first ever digital delay. i'm actually holding the first ever digital delay pedal in my hands that's and that, crazy. that was kind of a weird moment i was just like the amount of digital delay pedals that are out on the market now you think it all has well, something yeah. to do with this. Most of them, probably. Compact. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, 
you know, there's obviously a lot of other companies that have put in a lot of great work into what makes pedals standard now, but Boss have always kind of like pushed technology and, you know, kind of helped standardize a lot of things. Yeah. You know? but have you, I want to take a couple steps back to ask you if you've ever heard this old legend, this old internet legend okay. that, that's uh, been around. I I remember reading it. Uh, years ago on some forum in in speaking about the the DD2 um which is because of what you just said the chip is like so huge in there yeah that the legend goes and I, I that whoever was the boss at boss at the time essentially locked his engineers in the room and said you're not coming out of here at all until you figure out how to make this pedal work uh I don't know if you've ever heard that. I have, and and bizarrely it, enough, as part of my story, that is true. It is true. Uh, it Whoa. is true. Yeah, basically. Um, so, Mr. Kakahashi, who was the the guy that um, founded uh, Roland, and he's got an an absolutely incredible story. He actually wrote a book. I mean, just before I finish on on the DD two, like he, um, so he started Roland. He used to, he had like a really rare, like blood disease, basically, okay. when he was a kid. And they were like, and he couldn't leave hospital for something like three or four years. He was in hospital for a, a seriously long amount of time. He never thought he would ever make it out. And there was basically a really rare treatment, like a new treatment. And there was, it was between him and one other person who got the treatment. He got the treatment, ended up becoming well, and obviously went on to found Roland. He built his own TV in the 1950s oh, and the 1960s. Whoa. He built his own TV, like valve TV. He, he had to buy the valves on the black market, and they were like 10,000 yen at the time. He had to borrow the money from his parents, and he built this TV. So he was just like a, a mega engineer, and he obviously helped invent MIDI. And MIDI was his gift to the musical world, because they invented the technology, and rather than keep it a Roland technology... They released it, I think, at NAM, and said this technology is free for everyone to use. So he's like a legend in in himself. He he wrote an amazing book, and it's definitely worth a read. There's tons of great stories about him and about Roland. So yeah, that he he basically when he was head of the company, they said, right, we want you to you know make a compact digital delay pedal, and uh, yeah, they took this this chip, this DSP chip from the SD3000, which was the rack unit, mm-hmm. and gave it to the engineers. And the engineers took all the young guys and basically said, right, you can't leave until you build that this circuit into a compact. And That's uh, crazy. I, I've actually met the engineer who worked on that pedal. And I went to Japan last year. Um, he's built some of the the best and most legendary Boss pedals, and he still works for Boss now. So that's the kind of like history they have, even within their own company. Um, yeah, this uh, Masao San, he's been there since like seventy nine, I think. So he he did like loads of the really early Boss pedals, um, and he's totally humble about it. To them, they're constantly moving technology forward, and uh, you know he's yeah. I've, made a lot of boss pedals and I was like what's your favorite and he named one that came out like a year ago you know oh really yeah I love like the classic ones from the 80s they're like well no because I was saying how much the 
I loved. Um, I thought how amazing the, the Spectrum was, the SP One, because mm-hmm. I was like, it's a one band EQ. It's it's almost by to, by today's standards terrible, but at the time I was like, oh, that's incredible. I, I love the way you can just kind of get a fixed wah frequency and away you go. And he's like, yeah, but the the technology is kind of old. You know, we've got new stuff that's much better. So to them, it's a, it's always thinking forward. It's not like, oh, we made some great pedals then, we make some great pedals now, and yeah, the technology was great. They were like, no, the technology's old. You know, we, we do something much better now. See, that's uh, an interesting thing, because us, as you know, being a guitar player, we kind of romanticize the past, and like, oh, this vintage this and vintage that, it, and we all do it. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like the, the guys, the Japanese guys over there, that, that doesn't... Maybe it doesn't compute with them because they don't think that way. They're like, no, that's just old. Like, yeah. it's kind of a bizarre thing to be heavily in the guitar market, which loves the past, but uh, they kind of, I not that they don't care, but it seems like it, it's not the, it doesn't feel the same. Like I, I think it's I, I I picked up this old Silver Screw uh, BF2 the other day, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool, you know. But I think they would probably go, well, that's it's just an old thing. Yeah. I think you know they they appreciate that the the build and the time and you know the research and development that went into the product, but I think there's something about like I remember the first time I met uh, Yoshi Kagami, who's the, the now current president of of Boss, and he said, "But Boss always look forward. They never you know they never look back. We don't want to reissue anything because that's not." it's almost like a Japanese thing. I don't think they ever want to kind of like go back on the technology. They're always trying to make things better, um, which is great because you know that that's a company that's constantly going to be looking for something for something new, and and that's what they were doing with the DD2. Um, because actually, if you get a really old one or an old Japanese DD3, and you you take out that circuit board, you can see. I think there's like I can't remember the exact number. There's a ridiculous amount of components, and then on one side is that massive delay chip that fits the entire width of the uh, of the compact. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. There's, uh, I mean, there's some there's some crazy stories like that. I think with the old PS2, which was the delay and the pitch shifter, mm-hmm. they used the, pretty much the same delay chip, but they wanted to put the pitch shifter in, and I think there's something like 219 components. And they could get every component on the board. They had to use two circuit boards, and they actually sandwiched together like uh, Velcro. Mm-hmm. So all the components slot into the other side of other components. And there was oh, one whoa. component. There's one component they couldn't fit, and it's a tiny like transistor. So if you ever take one out apart, there's a tiny transistor that hangs off just by the legs on the side of one of the circuit boards because they could only join it on by the corner. So it's the only component that's not physically on the board it's just like (laughs) the depth of thought into some of these things is ridiculous i actually took one apart to actually prove i was like there's no way that's true and i actually opened one up and was like that's true (laughs) that's hilarious i would love to see that i mean that's that's so amazing wow yeah this i mean and you know the modern digital technology now for, for all companies boss um, you know what Strymon are doing even what companies like Two Notes are doing with like digital technology Kemper I just and that's all in the space of like the 15 years that I've been playing guitar obviously Boss and the digital technology from before but the last 15 years how much guitar technology's improved I just can't imagine where it will be in another 15 years I think everyone will still want to plug a Les Paul into a Marshall 
but there'll also be like some sort of mega Kemper that will just sound exactly like an amplifier <laughs> that, that people are. But I think people, like I say, people are always going to probably want to plug a Les Paul into a Marshall. It, it's true. I mean, that I, who doesn't like that though? Plug yeah. a Les Paul into a Marshall. It's yeah. it's a it's a pretty awesome experience. Um, yeah, if you can turn it up, those. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. At bedroom volumes, it's not too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I have a question. I don't know if you run into this over there or not, but like doing guitar shows and, and you know, displays and stuff. So I've noticed a thing um, that happens at some of the smaller guitar shows that I've been to. Um, usually I'm there with, you know, with Leon or, or somebody uh, or another builder uh, in the pedal game because I just, I love pedals. So I'm surrounded by pedal people. Yeah. Um, and you get this you get the the in america you get the old guy coming up who or not that old he's not like an, you know he's not like a 90 year old man but you get an older <laughs> guy coming up and he's like usually got like a, a like a flamed bowling shirt or something on and he's like and he's like what are these foot pedals what do you need these for like he they literally like they've been playing guitar since the 70s and they still don't know what a pedal does like it's kind of weird to me yeah i i, I mean I suppose I'm talking more from experience in store, but yeah, there's definitely that sort of divide. I think there's almost three tiers now because I think the real younger guys know loads about pedals and are kind of like using them to the extreme. And then you've kind of got like the kind of mid, not middle age, but kind of slightly older players who kind of use some pedals, but only kind of use the ones that they want to use. And then, yeah, you definitely got the older guys who are like, I've never plugged a pedal in. I mean, I had a customer way back who was trying to plug a guitar pedal in from the out taking the output right or going out from the input back into the output and then <laughs> plugging his guitar into the amp i was like that how there's no signal going through anything right you know and, and you think you, you kind of think to yourself it must be obvious you know my, my dad's you know um nearly 70 and obviously i've only just got him onto like an iphone and he's just like i don't understand because he's used to just not having a mobile phone right. so i think some people just don't understand how that kind of technology works and i think we take for granted how you plug a guitar pedal in or how you'd use something like that because we're so used to to what we've seen in the last sort of 10 15 years but yeah definitely you get those guys that have kind of never used them never will but they'll still get a great sound out of the amp they've got um but saying that one of my my best friends he's been playing guitar since 19 19- 70 i suppose yeah probably about 1970 and he's got 12 pedal boards i think nice (laughs) (laughs) he's got like a different pedal board for every situation he's got a couple of hundred i mean i've never seen someone with so many pedals just like i'm sure i've got one of those knocking around in the in the pedal cupboard and if he likes a pedal like um his favorite i think for a long time is the the crowther audio hot cake i think Last time I spoke to him, he's like, I'm pretty sure I've probably got about 10 or 11 of those now. Because if you like something, he'll buy one to put on every pedal board. Because he's like, well, I want that sound on any any gig that I need to go and do, any situation with any guitar, I want that that pedal sound. So That's interesting. I, I wonder how many guys like that there are. Because I, I have a lot myself, but once I have one of something, I don't necessarily want to get another one. Unless it's like a utility thing that I need for function. Mm-hmm. Uh I but struggle. Like, what, I must admit, I struggle to have more than one of the same thing. Of 
I don't have a problem having more than one of the same style of effect, but I can't. Oh no, I can do that, but I couldn't have like. I mean, you know, I love the 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 Pelican Noise Works Pelotor. You know, I was playing it earlier, and I was like, yeah, because I was just having to look at it now. I was like, but I probably wouldn't ever have two, probably because I'd only ever really have one pedal board. If I had two pedal boards, I'd like, yeah, I'll probably maybe take another one if I but I've been down that road before and it leads to you having like three pedal boards that basically all sound exactly the same. <laughs> You're like, I'm not actually getting any benefit from this. Um Right. You know, but, so I do I you know, I'd have multiple fuzz pedals, but having two of the same, I yeah, I'd be like, I can't justify that. I need the yeah. money back. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I don't I I might have two of the okay, well like I do have two Pelotars, but it's a pink and a silver. And so it, and they sound different. So I can get, yeah. I can justify it if it sounds different or looks yeah. different. But it, like having literally the same exact pedal, like some people do that. They'll buy the two, like you said, your your buddy's got eleven hotcakes. Like that's yeah. like I could never do that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'd rather have eleven individual other things. You know, like yeah. a hotcake. Unless it's, and, unless it's uh, eleven metal zones, then you know. Well, of course, <laughs> the legendary. MT2. Yeah. I've got one that a guy modded into a fuzz that sounds so good. Uh, oh, was that by... Um, there's a guy in Australia doing that now, isn't that, there? Yes, that's uh, Mador Amps. Yes. Yeah. I've seen I've seen some demo clips of his, his kind of mod of the Metal Zone, and I was like, oh, that looks really interesting. I might have to buy one of them. It sounds fantastic. It really, really yeah. does. He did, I don't he know what he did. he takes it away completely from a normal Metal Zone, right? And it does like, everything from like overdrive to distortion to fuzz yeah i think he has a couple different mods that he does the one i have is the he calls it the fuzz zone and uh so it's 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 a fuzz but what's nice is he still leaves that what is actually cool about the metal zone which is that eq section still all works well because the funny thing about the uh the metal zone i think it was the first ever pedal to have dual concentric pots on it oh really like double stacked pots yeah Obviously, dual concentric pots have been around for a while, so they're on Fender Jazz and things like that. But to have it on a pedal, I think it was one of the first pedals to have dual concentric pots, which we've now made the Metal Zone since 1991. And it's one of your best sellers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> constantly been in like the top three best-selling Boss products of all time. That's insane. Which is, is It was even in the back of the book. I think the back of the book was like Metal Zone, DS1... SD1, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, like, like, I always found it funny when I worked in a guitar store and I sold, every day I'd probably sell an American Standard Strat. Every mm-hmm. every day or every other day. And it's like, where are all these guitars going? You know, because UK is quite a small country. Mm-hmm. You can drive from, you could drive from Brighton where I worked to, to Scotland in 10 hours. You know, and there's, Hundreds of guitar shops in between are also selling American Standard Strats. It's like, where are all these guitars going? I read somewhere once, quite a while ago, that Fender Mexico makes something like 30,000 guitars a year. And I was like, where do 30,000 Mexican Standard Strats go? In <laughs> where, where are they? Yeah, that's a good point. I never really thought of it that way. You know, like, yeah, where, think, where are they? Because you know the guitar market's definitely been growing the last... 10 years. I think when I first started working, I used to work in a guitar store just on Saturdays when mm-hmm. I was about 16. And at that point, it had been at its lowest. 
and it was just then on the on the rise again and it's kind of been nice to sort of ride the wave with it for the last 15 years and really see how far the guitar business has come and stuff like podcasts what we do and, and youtube has like been a massive boost uh, to that I, that's interesting industry. It's interesting that you say that because I talk to some people and they say, no, it's shrinking. And I can't ever get a read on who's correct. Like, yeah, well, I think there's I think there's always some areas that are probably like smaller than others or that some areas might shrink. But I think electric guitars in general, um, although I, I remember reading on MI Pro, which is like a musician's um, like music industry, like professional magazine. So it's, it's online um, and they have quite a few kind of interesting news stories and i think two years ago the biggest selling line of instruments worldwide was the spongebob ukulele oh (laughs) (laughs) um and and that's that's the thing i don't know when you when you were at school did you have to learn an instrument as as a standard thing did you have to like play the piano or in in music because in in england we always had to learn to play the recorder and that's now moved to playing the ukulele. So every kid under the age of six wants to play ukulele. And there's loads of YouTube stars that are playing ukulele. And like that instrument, that area of instruments from like 20 to 80 pounds is just like skyrocketed faster than any other product in the kind of musical instrument world, which is just bizarre. That is fascinating. Yeah. I... It, in America, it just varies. It depends on your school district uh, yeah. whether you are, you know, forced to learn something or not. We had the option in um, in elementary school. We could either do band or choir. And honestly, I was kind of I was already taking piano lessons, but I I was like, well, what instruments are, can I play in band? And they were like, here's your instruments. And I and I remember literally thinking. None of those are none of those are a guitar. I'm not interested. I'll go to yeah. the choir. Like, yeah. I, like I was learning piano, but I I I wanted to learn guitar, and I was like, none of those are a guitar. No, nah, I'll go do choir instead. I'm not going to yeah. play the play the tuba. <laughs> uh, but um, it, yeah, I think that's just that that shift. Um, but it's it's difficult because unless you've actually got physical sales data you know, from across the industry, you're never probably going to get an exact, like, factual answer. But mm-hmm. for me, I mean, YouTube, I think, has just been the biggest thing. Um, it's been great to see kind of like a community kind of grow out of that and how much that affects... Because before marketing, you know, you look at old adverts and they were all printed in magazines because that's where you had to go. You couldn't go on the internet and go, I want a distortion pedal because the internet didn't really exist or if it did it was in a really early form people hadn't really understood how to advertise on there but now that's what i spend my life doing is like how are other companies marketing their product how are they doing it who are they doing it with and you know instagram as you know we we spoke about it at length at at nam instagram Mm -hmm. has become like they're companies that just live on on that that app Mm -hmm. that sell pedals from that app it's just like who would have thought that like five years ago, you know, when we were still worrying about print adverts. Now we're thinking, what are we going to put on Instagram? And how can we grow our Instagram following? You know, it's, it's so, so bizarre. And it's just like, I just, I just find it really interesting, but I never really got into it when I, when I first, it first came out, but now I'm, I'm obsessed by it. 
That well, Instagram see, that... is just such a great place to just go, wow, that looks really cool. And then you can go and look up more about it. Yeah. I mean, I that's my obviously preferred platform. Uh, but I... You were talking about guitars and you talking about marketing. and so That's the other thing that I spend like all my time trying to analyze and figure out because I, I try to work with, with all these small guys on that stuff. Yeah. You know, that's the, some, for whatever reason, from doing the podcast and from doing social media and stuff, I found out something I didn't know about myself was A, that I was pretty good at um, marketing stuff on, online, and B, that I enjoyed it. I didn't know either of those things about myself until I started trying to promote the podcast, which was kind of funny. Yeah, um, I think that's and that's and and since January and obviously kind of got to know you and then a few other people. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, this is a this is a great platform and it's been really great to kind of like just get really stuck in with it and be like involved with it and and it's just it's it's so much more powerful than I initially thought. Yeah, well, we can talk more about that off the air. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll. Get- uh, uh, we'll plug some more Instagram knowledge into the boss world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll just take some more, uh, some more photos and. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. It's just so nice. It's been so nice recently with um, guitar nerds to just try a load of stuff that we wouldn't normally be able to get our hands on. There's so many great small companies out there that are willing to kind of send us something to kind of review. Mm-hmm. And it's and for me, it's just nice to try stuff that you just can't find in a store at the moment or trying stuff that almost before anyone else can because i'm like oh you know it just gets me so much more excited and yes. before you had to go to a store and think oh what's new or what haven't i seen yet but now it's just like people are sending all this stuff and it's just like there's just there's so much i think anderton's uh, in the uk who I used to work for just hit they now sell ten thousand different individual pedals i think wow that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, Under Andertons. The I know. Yeah, I know. Andertons carries a lot of uh, a lot of my industry friends' stuff. So that, that's yes. Not too well, thankfully, um, they yeah. when when I ran into my old boss um, Lee when we were at Nam, and they were like, "Oh, anything we should check downstairs?" And I said, "Oh, you should go and check Fuzz Roches, which they've now just started stocking." So, I'm oh, they have. Oh, they, sweet. <laughs> uh, they, I'm glad that they made them over because I don't think there was anywhere else in the UK you could buy them. I don't think. I don't know if he had another, if Ryan had another dealer in the UK at that point. So I'm glad that that sort of stuff's making its way to this side of the pond. Because that's, that's the difficult thing about the UK is that we do get left out sometimes. Um, thankfully, I don't live in Australia because that is actually the worst, I think, in, in terms of getting stuff. Um, they really it seems, struggle. It seems like that Australia has a super hunger for it. Like I like, you know, I've done some of these tone mob special pedals, like, um, and I'm surprised at how many I end up sending to Australia. It's like, I'm like, wow, there's a, I mean, Australia's people need to pay attention to those poor guys down there. They're getting, they're getting left out like in a big way. Um, but it's interesting. I don't know if you've, you've probably noticed this, but when I listen to guitar nerds, um, it's so different than what, the usual discussions that I'm having. Cause yeah. I'm like, I'm like I'm talking to somebody either on Facebook or whatever about the, uh, um, you know, Oh, have you seen the new, uh, I don't know. Have you seen the new spaceman pedal or have you seen the new, you know, Mr. Black or something. And then you guys talk about more like 
basically like brands, bigger brands that I kind of forget about, like Boss and MXR, and and it's like, huh, I, not that those brands aren't doing really amazing stuff all the time. It's just I get so focused on for, for some reason here in the U.S. At least with the really super gear nerd people, get seem to get focused on the little guy, and mm-hmm. kind of forget that the big guys actually do do rad things too. I don't yeah, know. I think I, I think, and that's always the the struggle that um, I think a lot of people have with Boss. I've always been like a long term fan, but because they're always there, you sort of forget about it. And mm-hmm. I think if they disappeared, you'd suddenly really miss it. Oh, you know, it's, oh, it's, very much. Yes, you know, it's one of those. It's one of those things. Everyone's like, oh, why would you go? You know, I, I post about uh, the Epiphone Joe Bonamassa Firebirds the other day, and everyone was like. Oh, you know, why would you buy that when you could buy a Tokai? You know, it's just it's just a Chinese guitar. And I was like, oh, it's still a great guitar. And people are like, oh, I wouldn't ever buy an Epiphone. And I was like, but I guarantee, if Epiphone didn't exist, you'd probably go. Oh, there'd probably be a gap at some point. You'd be like, I really need to buy a guitar, and Epiphone would have been the one to fill that gap. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, th- I think that's that's the thing. But they, you definitely, we, I mean, I'd love to kind of bring more of the smaller companies in. I think that's what we try and do, especially on like the pedal of the week videos we do, mm-hmm. because it's easy to review some of the easier to get stuff yeah but over here there's not that many boutique builders or not many that we've kind of managed to kind of find out in the wild yet so getting stuff over from the states is great because it opens people's minds up i think the difficult thing um i was talking to uh scott from uh string joy the other day Mm -hmm. he sent me some strings and i was like the one thing that like totally sucks about living in the uk um is just the cost it, it to get stuff here um you know, I bought the um the feed me pedal from from Ryan uh Fuzzrocious and it cost uh it cost me like the equivalent of forty five dollars just for customs to send it to me. So it, oh, it was in the UK, geez. it was in the country, and they were like, Yeah, it's gonna cost you I think the VAT was like eight eight pounds, like eight dollars. And then the, wow. the rest was like a handling fee. So it's like I've already paid for this and I'm paying for it again. So unfortunately the UK it's just difficult ordering that stuff. If you can't get it from a UK dealer, ordering it from the States can be like dangerously expensive. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I even like what I have to charge to do international shipping on things. Sometimes I feel bad and I, <laughs> and I, and I eat some of it. I eat half the cost yeah. because just because I'm like, well, you know, it's okay. Like that I'm willing, you know, and I, and I know other guys that do that. that so if you, so for people who don't know, if you, um, see international shipping and you're like, oh, why is that 15, 18 bucks? You know, that's crazy. You should know that it actually costs the manufacturer or the retailer 30, you know, yeah. $30. So the, the, they're subsidizing it a little bit, but I think I still, I look at it and I'm like, man, I paid, I know, I know all this. So it's like this $200 item actually costs them close to $300. Yeah. It's it, crazy. it is crazy, isn't it? Um, and I think that's one of those, those you know, what we started about at the beginning of the of the, the podcast is just one of those things you just don't know all the costs. And you never will. People always go, oh, you know, always complaining. Someone's always complaining about price and something. And it's just like, you don't know how much it costs to develop, how much it costs to manufacture, how much all the individual parts cost, how much it costs to ship to someone. And unless you've worked for a retailer, you don't know the margins that some of these retailers are actually working to as well. Well, uh, yeah. And then there's the whole, like, they want to have a little bit left over to keep the lights on and feed themselves, too. 
Yeah, so, <laughs> I think that's always the thing. People forget that it's a business. At the end of the day, this is all a business. This is all someone's lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, the one thing that that got me recently, I suppose, was we going, just going back to the, the Wampler thing. Someone was like, has anyone got a copy of the Wampler indie guitarist pedal book that I can download? And someone was like, why don't you buy it? Right. It's, it's, you know, it's, that's that dude's lifestyle when you're basically just making a copy of it yeah you know i mean that's, that's part of his like living that's how he makes money yeah and it's like so you can make pedals that you could potentially sell and make money off it's almost a bit like you know help someone out you know what i mean so support someone support someone's local business and that's why wherever possible i always try and buy from the store you know because google shopping gets you you know it, it's easy to search something and go i'm going to buy it from the cheapest place but yeah. if i'm going to buy something that I know I've got to look around for, I'll try and buy it from the store. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if the, if you walk into a store and the experience is good and the guys in there are good, why wouldn't you buy it from them? I think well, that's yeah. always the thing. Oh, yeah, I think I'll leave it. You know, I used to get that when I used to work in stores and people would be like, yeah, you know, they try something for ages and you give them price and you go, yeah, I think I'll leave it. And you know, and, I, and I'd seen it because I could see orders coming through that like five hours later, they've just ordered it to their home address. And you're just like, why don't you just ask me if you wanted a deal or why don't you just say oh, I want to buy it online and we could have done something but I suppose you can't you can't that's just the way that it, it, it it's going which is which is a shame because I think people don't realize that if that keep ha if that keeps happening stores will cease to exist eventually well and that's um, that's already happening you know like yeah. at least over here see I'm a little bit spoiled because Portland happens to be a really good guitar market yeah. Uh, so we have a couple really good guitar stores, and they they do well. Um, but that's not the case in most other parts of the country. The guitar yeah. stores are closing because yeah, because of partially because of that, and just because of various reasons. But like that, you know, I often forget that like how like yes, the retail shops around here are growing, but in other parts of the country, they're totally dying. So it's yeah. it's a weird weird thing. Yeah, Portland is definitely one of those places I want to come and uh, come and visit. Quite a few people I follow on YouTube being part of like the gaming community as well from like Portland or surrounding area, and there's loads of cool pedal builders, loads of guitar shops. It's like when I finally get out to America again, if we ever do a holiday, it's like I'm definitely going to make my way to Portland. <laughs> well, uh, we also have uh, lots of good food and lots of good breweries, so you can look forward to that. Oh, there too. we go. Yeah, craft beer. That's the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, separate Let's podcast about... for that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll start the craft beer podcast. That sounds yeah. good. I've that. got a really good one just down the road for me, actually, that does um, loads of different craft beers. But when you talk to those guys, it's just like talking to us about guitar pedals. It's just like I'm I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> I uh... you know, it's, I think that's the thing. When it's your passion, it's so easy to get completely carried away. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Well, man, uh, we've been doing this for a little bit over that hour mark, and I feel like we, you and I could just keep going on yeah. ba basically any subject. <laughs> well, let's, let's see what the reaction to this is, and then let's just schedule it in for another week. Uh, that's, hey, that works for me. I mean, yeah, we man. Could, we, we could make this a reoccurring theme. That's fine with me. Yeah. I, yeah, no, it's been good. And I think it's, it's nice to kind of... Um... You know, always talk to people about guitars. It's not always the same group. I, you know, I love Joe, Mark, and, and Jay, and we've been doing the podcast for two years, and we hope we do it for another 
another 10, you know, mm -hmm. but it's always good to kind of talk to other people. And that was the great thing about Nam was just like meeting all these people on the other side of the pond that we can start talking to. Because Absolutely. The, the community in, in the UK is, is much smaller. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, it's been really good talking to you. But uh, before you go, I did I I almost forgot. I was gonna just call it, but I didn't ask you the question that I have to ask you, which okay. is which is um, what kind of pizza do you like? Okay, because I don't know what like traditional American pizza is, but obviously Domino's was always like the main pizza when I was a student, and then you kind <laughs> of move away from the deep pan. And there's, um, so this is, I suppose, what I'll say is my favourite pizza is the pizza place that is literally just down the road from my house. So if anyone comes to London, it's called Adome Pizza it's in Streatham Hill. Uh, SW2 is the uh, the postcode. They make, they are an Italian family. I think they're two brothers, a sister, and they came over to the UK to start a pizzeria. And it's just like completely traditional Italian stone-baked pizza. It's absolutely incredible and as long as it's got anchovies on it i'm happy that sounds really delicious and i should just make a side note that i've never had pizza with anchovies before and i don't uh, know why you should have anchovies. They, they, they 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 definitely an acquired taste you just have to have them a few times but you know once you're there they're excellent i like i like fish so i have a feeling i would like the anchovies i recently well, had a clam yeah. pizza that was really good yeah i'm not into the shellfish i got oh. gonna have to step away from that one <laughs> uh, a lot of people probably just like we can't even talk to these guys they're putting seafood on their pizza we can't. yeah <laughs> well i mean i'm 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 like that if anyone puts ham and pineapple don't put pineapple on a pizza don't, I'm not don't. Into it. yeah no please don't put pineapple on your pizza stop yeah. it stop it <laughs> oh dear oh man it's been awesome thanks very much for having me on yeah well uh thank you for coming on i appreciate it um I, no now worries. I just gotta get I just gotta get Joe and then I'll have I'll have all of you guys on the show officially. Yeah, you'll have a complete set. <laughs> I gotta collect all the guitars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right on. Oh man, awesome. All right, thanks. Cool. So, thanks, dude. Yep. So for Matt, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning into this episode. It was a marvelous time, and you are marvelous for tuning in. I would like to uh, ask you something real quick, though. I, I just need a favor. Just it's not it's not a big ask, but but I do need some help. If you could head over to iTunes, and if you like the podcast, leave a review. That would be excellent. Haven't asked for that in a little while, and uh, it always helps to. Get new new listeners, new blood, new people to the show. And uh, if you like it, please go over there and leave a review. That would be fantastic. And other than that, uh, enjoy. I'll talk to you next week. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. 
So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.